The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street trying to keep the rally alive as stocks notch their second straight day of gains. Futures right now are pointing to a positive open. Earnings front and center as investors really await results from UPS, General Motors, Coca-Cola, and more. But it's beaten big down tech stocks that are now likely to steal the show. Now, in the UK, the stage is set for Rishi Sunak to become the country's next prime minister as we await final comments from outgoing PM Liz Truss. Plus, Hong Kong stocks claw back after their worst session in 14 years. And later on, talk about a flare-up. Why shares of Weber Grills are surging ahead of the opening bell. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu, and for Brian Sullivan, let's kick off your Tuesday morning with Equity Futures. They're bid right now. You can see here the Dow Jones. Well, now they've shifted. Now we're implied lower by roughly 76 points. The S&P lower by about eight points and the Nasdaq down by just about 10. So some marginal losses. This is after a mostly higher session for stocks yesterday that saw the major averages notch back to back gains. Now, checking the bond market right now, certainly a key focus these days. You can see a slight tick lower in yields. The 10 year benchmark Treasury note yield about 4.17 percent. The two year benchmark note yield about 4.48 percent in energy. Oil prices, again, you can see some movement there as well. We're we're talking about lower prices right now for U.S. benchmark, West Texas Intermediate, WTI crude, down 72 cents, $83.85. That's nearly a 1% decline. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, down 79 cents, $92.47. That's down roughly 1% as well. Now, in crypto prices, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether on the move. Still, again, trying to hover right around that 19,000 mark for Bitcoin prices, 19,292 and change. The last trade for Bitcoin down about one third of one percent, about one tenth percent losses for Ether prices, one thousand three hundred forty four dollars and 16 cents. Now, around the world, mostly red arrows overnight in Asia, the region failing to rebound after the steepest sell off in 14 years on Monday. Right now, you can see things closed off marginally lower on the Shanghai Composite for mainland China. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong down about one-tenth of one percent as well. Meanwhile, the Nikkei in Japan posting a nice solid gain up one percent. Let's spin that globe over to what's happening in Europe right now. You can see here a mixed session over there as trading is in the early stages of things. The German DAX down about one-half of one percent. The FTSE 100 in the U.K. down about one-half of one percent as well. And a quarter percent gain right now from the CAC in France. Let's get to a few of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. Well, shares of Weber surging ahead of the open. This after its largest shareholder, BDT Capital, reported a stake of 88.9 percent in the company and offered to buy the remaining shares it does not already own 
for $6.25. Now, this offer represents a 24% premium to Monday's closing price and mirrors the pre-market gains for the stock. Weber has been mentioned as a potential meme stock after being noted for its high short interest and small stock float. Adidas reportedly plans to end its partnership with Kanye West following a slew of offensive behavior from the rapper and designer. Now, according to Bloomberg, the German sports company may announce the move as early as today. If confirmed, Adidas would join Gap and Caring's Balenciaga fashion label in prematurely cutting ties with West. The rapper, who now goes by Ye, has made numerous controversial statements, including anti-Semitic social media posts in recent weeks, and has moved to cut ties with his corporate partners. The Adidas Ye Yeezy shoe line, according to some reports, accounts for as much as 8% of the company's total sales. And the SEC is charging Canadian pop producer Kronos Group and a former executive with accounting fraud, accusing them of improperly booking sales and overstating revenue by the millions. The company and its former chief commerce officer say they've settled the matter without admitting or denying the SEC allegations, Dom. All right, Sylvain Hanau with the latest headlines there. Thank you very much yeah. for those. Breaking news now this morning. We are awaiting comments from outgoing U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss at 10 Downing Street before she heads to Buckingham Palace for an audience with King Charles III. That's a live shot right now of London right now where you can see just outside 10 Downing Street where a lot of activity is going to happen. This is the new conservative leader, Rishi Sunak, is set to take her place as prime minister. Arabile Goumede joins us now live on the scene in London. Arabile, what can you tell us now about this change of power? Yeah, so out goes 56, in comes 57. That is certainly what is happening today. That's today's uh, real uh, sort of sense of what we're going to be looking towards. Of course, a little bit earlier on, the Prime Minister Liz Truss was holding her last cabinet meeting with some of the members of Parliament, with a whole host of them coming into uh, 10 Downing Street. We saw a whole a number of them as well leave. And now the lectern has been put up and she's about to deliver her final address uh, to uh, the media here then outside 10 Downing Street. After that, she will head on over to an audience with the king to officially resign from her post. After that, the incoming prime minister, Rishi Sunak, will then uh, have an audience with the king to formally uh, seek uh, that appointment as the new prime minister and then be asked to set up a government in order to be able to become prime minister of the United Kingdom. Following that, of course, one of the big question marks will certainly be around what it is that follows on from Liz Truss's departure and whether Rishi Sunak will take on uh, any of those measures that she had put forward or whether he'll completely reverse everything. Of course, we saw that mini-budget which roiled markets and he certainly would not want to go in that same position and step then as Chancellor. He certainly knows what it would be like. Now, now Arabile, uh, speaking of Chancellor of the Exchequer, their version of a Treasury Secretary is important in, the, in this administration for Rishi Sunak. Right now, it's Jeremy Hunt. He's the person in the role right now. It's not unfathomable that Rishi Sunak, as a new prime minister, would want maybe his own or, you know, some prime minister's own choice for the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Is there an expectation that Jeremy Hunt stays on in this new Sunak administration as their Treasury Secretary? 
Well, it does seem that the rumors are that he would probably keep Jeremy Hunt as the uh, Treasury Secretary, in effect, and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And a key reason for that is because the medium-term fiscal plan is said to be put out on October the 31st. And if that is happening then, it doesn't give Rishi Sunak too much time to kind of put in a new Treasury uh, Secretary and then deliver that medium-term fiscal plan unless he pulls that out. And if he does that, he kind of U-turns and creates perhaps the instability that he probably does not want, uh, considering where the UK has certainly been. We're going to, however, have to wait to to kind of get a sense and, uh, and see where things go. But he does have, from today, day one, right up until October the 31st, just early next week then, to determine where to for the budget and the economy of the UK. I'm not sure what kind of a sign it is when you see the cats rolling up onto number 10 Downing Street, but we're all watching that. And listeners on Sirius XM Channel 112, what you saw was a cat crawling up onto the front steps of number 10 Downing Street. Arabila Goumede in London, thank you very much for the update there on Liz Truss, outgoing Prime Minister, and Rishi Sunak, the incoming one. Back on Wall Street, investors are looking for signs of optimism as a busy week for earnings kicks into high gear. Tech giants like Apple, Amazon, Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, among a slew, all set to report this week, as well as consumer-facing companies like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Caterpillar and ExxonMobil on the industrial and gas side of things, and oil and gas side. This is all ahead of key central bank decisions that also are on deck in the coming weeks, with markets looking for some potential signals of a Fed pivot, so to speak, at its upcoming meetings. Joining me now is Kate Faddis, Senior Portfolio Manager at Fernwood Investment. Uh, Kate, it's a lot of stuff to sift through. I, I wonder, we've had a, a lot of folks on this program and throughout our air on CNBC over the last several weeks and months now that are basically saying that while corporate results are important, they hold a total backseat to what's happening with the Fed and interest rates. Do we care about earnings season? We care about earnings season. Earnings season is going to be very important because look at what's happening with the market. According to the fact, fact set, the S&P is trading at under 16 times forward earnings. Now, that works. That's pretty relatively inexpensive compared to the 10-year average. But if earnings come in and are weak and analysts have to reduce their earnings estimates, this is going to create a problem. And this will be a problem for the market. So, yes, we are absolutely watching what the Fed is doing, but we are still watching what's going on with earnings. Okay, so with that being said, I I reeled off a a number of the big technology or tech adjacent type companies that are going to be reporting results. Is there one in particular that you think is going to hold a lot more weight have a lot more sway over investor sentiment, given what's happening with the complete fall off of these big tech names over the last several months? No, actually, they're all going to be important. And I think right now, given what's going on, I'm going to be looking at other things. Okay, so you saw that the banks reported and the banks said they're expecting weakness. That's what everyone is saying. But they're not seeing weakness right now. Okay, Uh, uh, P&G also reported. And they're still seeing supply chain problems. They're still seeing a lot of supply side inflation. So I am going to be more looking at the companies that have inventory. Are they still building up inventory? What is happening to their supply chain? What is happening to their inflation? So I am really focused there. Now, looking at the tech companies, these are global in nature. So I am looking at how much the currency is going to be affecting them. Because the currency, U.S. currency has been so strong, they report in U.S. dollars. What is that going to be doing to their earnings? 
Okay, so so if that's the case, if 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 the strong dollar is going to be a huge deal for not just these tech companies, but also some of these other big industrial or even, you know, international type operations as well. If you look at the way things are shaping up right now, the earnings story is generally positive. Is it positive enough to make people feel as though there's a bottom in? And if so, what are you buying? I'll tell you, the earnings picture has been positive and maybe Maybe who knows? We're all expecting bad news. Maybe that's priced in. Maybe the news won't be so bad. You're talking about a pet, the Fed pivot a second ago. Here are some beaten down ideas, and there are several. My favorite so far, Best Buy, okay? Largest technology products retailer. Everyone knows what Best Buy does. Everyone has shopped there. Market cap, 14 billion. Entertainment, appliance, computers. What I like about Best Buy is they've learned to be good because they compete against the best retailers in the world. Costco, Alibaba, Target, Amazon, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, as we say in these parts. The stock is cheap, trading around 10 times PE. The company grew tremendously during COVID as everyone was restocking their home office. But now revenues are going to be down 10 or 12%. I still think this is a shot. If we have time, DocuSign is another one. DocuSign was your COVID stock. Everyone was signing at home. No one was signing in, per- sure. in person. The stock hit a high of over 300. Now it's down 80%. All right. DocuSign and Best Buy. The calls from Kate Faddis. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. When we come back on the show, Chinese tech stocks trying to rebound after their worst session on record. Why our next guest says the sell-off was likely overdone. Plus, we are live from what's being dubbed Davos in the Desert. Saudi Arabia kicks off its future investment initiative event. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a news alert for you at this hour. There are reports... Again, reports that WhatsApp, the popular messaging app, is coming back online for some users after a global outage early this morning. Problems were first detected just about a couple hours ago. WhatsApp has about 2 billion users worldwide and, of course, is owned by Meta Platforms, the company formerly known as Facebook. So we're watching Meta Platform shares down about one half of one percent in trade in the pre-market so far. It remains to be seen how much that WhatsApp story was a part of the market narrative, at least for Meta shares in the pre-market trade. Well, Hong Kong and Chinese stocks falling for a second straight session following their steepest sell-off in 14 years. Yesterday, the benchmark Hang Seng saw its biggest single-day drop since November of 2008. It was worse for the region's biggest technology stocks, and the Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong 
rebounded only slightly in overnight trade after its second largest drop one day on record. All of this. Okay, we have some breaking news right now. Speaking of what's going on internationally, outgoing UK Prime Minister Liz Truss is now outside number 10 Downing Street for the final time, making a statement before seeking an audience with the king. We will monitor her comments and bring you the latest as it develops. But as you can see there, Liz Truss making those comments outside number 10 Downing Street right now. Well, yesterday, let's keep an eye on what's happening here. Okay, we're going to come back to this now later on. We will monitor those trust comments. Let's now let's now get to Brendan Ahern, who's the chief investment officer at Crane Shares. We're going to again keep the monitoring of UK outgoing Prime Minister Liz Truss. I, I, I wonder, Brendan, as we kind of turn back towards Hong Kong and the sell-off there. You manage a lot of investments in that in that East Asia region, specifically in, in China and Hong Kong. What was your reaction yesterday? Do you feel as though things got overdone or there's more downside left to come? Hey, good morning, Dom. Yeah, I was certainly shocked at the market's reaction to the ending of the party Congress. I think I thought the market really did anticipate that President Xi would elevate key allies some of those allies that were promoted to play a key role in Chinese government uh, definitely were associated with zero COVID policy. But I'm absolutely shocked at the market's response. I, you know, there's more rumors yesterday, Dom, that that a potential uh, levered player was liquidated just based on the uh, extent of the market drawdown. It was really just a pure selling panic, um, really just a lack of buyers as well. So just a very strange day. Hopefully we get a little bit of a snapback here in U.S. trading hours. Can you blame them? Can you blame the lack of buyers out there for for being a little bit apprehensive about about stepping into this market, given President Xi? I mean, there are people who now call him Emperor Xi or Chairman Xi. I mean, this is one of those situations where his administration has been one that has cracked down on many of the most important companies in China, what's to say they're not going to keep doing it in the coming months and years? Well, I think President Xi's speech last Sunday, where he mentioned uh, modernization uh, almost 90 times, uh, the most frequently said word in his speech was actually modernization. There was also a clear emphasis on the on the economy. I mean, certainly, if you want common prosperity, you need some level of prosperity. So, so I think you know we were a little bit shocked that yes, President Xi is certainly in full control of the Chinese government, um, and certainly I would agree that Dom, many many potential buyers have been sidelined due to issues like the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, due to zero COVID and the real estate policy, what's happening in real estate in China. And certainly just the strong dollar Fed hiking, it's uh, kind of a bit, been a risk off market, not only in U.S. equity markets, but certainly for global equities, for risk assets in general. From a sentiment standpoint, this has been perhaps just the latest leg and the latest chapter in a long downtrend for Chinese equities. There are growth concerns. There are concerns about zero covid policies and what it does to the economy, the second largest economy in the world. What is it exactly you think that brings investors back into some of these names, given what's happening with this economy, given what's happening with the Xi administration, given what's happening with just poor investor sentiment overall? Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, we need catalysts, Tom. You know, certainly investors have been sidelined because of this sum of all fear, the, the numerous issues that we spoke about. And I think for the Chinese government, it's time to get back to work. Uh, the party Congress is done. 
political leaders have been established, what their roles are going to be. And now it's time to address the economy. They have to address what's happening with housing, as well as the easing of the zero COVID policy in order to get consumer confidence. And we're potentially starting, you know, we should hopefully see those signs in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Certainly Alibaba uh, Singles Day event uh, started on Monday, uh, the pre-sales. And I think, you know, we're starting to see some early indications that those numbers look pretty strong in the very early goings. But we need these catalysts. We need a resolution to holding foreign companies accountable act. We need U.S. and China diplomacy to return. We need the two sides to actually sit down and talk to one another. Or else it's not just about Chinese equities, Dom. It's about the U.S. multinationals that do a lot of business in China are at risk. You know, it's worth noting Tesla was down yesterday. A number of the U.S. multinationals that have a lot of business in China were actually off yesterday. So this isn't just about about you Chinese equities. It's also about U.S. equities that have a lot of exposure there. All right. Big story developing for sure between the world's two biggest economies. Brendan Ahern at Crane Shares, thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Still on deck for the show here, your big money movers and some sales trouble for some of Europe's biggest banks. You can see UBS and HSBC both on the wires this morning. We'll be right back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got UBS, the Swiss bank's third quarter profits falling 24 percent on a drop in market activity. But the results beat forecasts thanks to inflows of new money. UBS is attracting 17 billion dollars in new fee generating assets and wealth management and 18 billion dollars in its asset management business. The CEO telling CNBC clients are on the wealth side and are looking for alternative investments and places to put their cash. Next up, HSBC, third quarter profits sliding more than 40%, hit by rising loan losses and a charge from the sale of its French business. However, results still beat estimates. HSBC is also replacing its chief financial officer with the former head of its investment bank, a surprise move that puts him in line to perhaps eventually succeed CEO Noel Quinn. And finally, SAP, the business software maker, posting higher third quarter revenues led by growth in cloud computing. The company also confirming its profit and sales outlook for the year and is still targeting double-digit profit growth for the year 2023. Those shares up, by the way, 4% in German trading. Well, relations between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia may be hitting a new low after OPEC's massive oil output cut, but that's not stopping U.S. bankers and investors from heading to Riyadh for the summit dubbed Davos in the Desert. Our own Dan Murphy joins us now live on the ground in Riyadh to tell us all about this investment conference from Saudi Arabia. Dan, good afternoon to you. Well, hi, Dom. You know, they call this Davos in the desert, as you say. The Wall Street elite and business leaders from around the region are putting tensions between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia to one side and descending on the Saudi capital this week. 
Look, Don, basically this forum aims to attract billions of dollars into the kingdom, but it also gives big-name investors face time with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and other state investment arms at a time when investors are looking at a range of issues like inflation, for example, rising rates and the energy prices, which have all been hitting public markets. So in the room behind me and around this hotel are big names like Jamie Dimon, David Solomon, Ray Dalio, Steve Schwartzman. They're all in the room for the Saudi Crown Prince's big event. But this frosty relationship between MBS and the Biden administration after the most recent OPEC Plus decision to cut oil output means there's no senior US officials on the ground. And that is perhaps the most interesting angle to this. I asked the Skybridge founder, Anthony Scaramucci, to weigh in on this Saudi-US disconnect earlier today. Take a listen. Sometimes uh, having disagreements is healthy. Uh, people get to a better spot. I also believe that uh, when you're fighting with your spouse, your business partner, a, uh, in the world of politics, you start to realize, wait a minute, I shouldn't be pushing this fight too hard because we bo both sides sort of need, need each other. So I'm hoping for a reconciliation uh, at that political level. I predict that that will happen. Uh, and it just, it'll just take some time. There's some sore feelings probably around. Uh, and that's natural being human, but you have to step back and look at the long-term relationship. Uh, these two countries need each other. So Washington is seeking to reset the relationship now, but Wall Street seems largely undeterred, Dom, and that's good news for the Crown Prince and Saudi Arabia's overall economic diversification drive. Dan Murphy in Riyadh at the Saudi Arabia Future Investment Initiative. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Well, coming up on the show, a quick check now on futures are on futures and also shares of McDonald's unchanged in the pre-market right now. The McRib, by the way, is returning to McDonald's for what could be the last time. The fast food giant says the sandwich will be available for a limited time for delivery or pickup on the app through November 20th. McDonald's website says get one while you can because this is the McRib farewell tour. It last appeared on the menu in 2020 after an eight-year absence. I'm a McRib fan. I'll admit it right now. Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Rally at risk. Futures pointing to some pressure at the opening bell after stocks notch a second straight day worth of solid gains. A potential catalyst for markets. Big tech earnings set to get underway. But could growing macro headwinds deliver a real blow to the once high-flying sector's results? And another one of those big tech names reportedly hitting pause on hiring for one of its most lucrative divisions. It's Tuesday, October 25th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up on the back of Monday's solid gains. Futures right now are on the offer. You can see just so slightly, though, the Dow Industrials implied lower by 120 points, the S&P lower by 13, and the Nasdaq down by just around 20 to 21 points. Let's also see what's happening with oil prices right now, again, on the offer. You can see WTI crude U.S. benchmark prices, $83.49, down about a buck and change, uh, down about one and a quarter percent. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, down one and a quarter, $92.03, about one and a third percent declines there as well. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Now, Silvana Hanau is here with those. Hi, Silvana. 
Dom, well, more hiring freezes in the tech sector apparently taking place. Now, according to The New York Post, Amazon is halting hiring in parts of its web services division. The Post citing potential candidates says officials within the highly profitable division have been telling them the jobs they were applying for are no longer available. Amazon shares initially tumbling in extended trading following that report before recovering some ground. Now, the move marks the latest instance of a hiring freeze or layoffs within the tech industry. Warner Brothers Discovery is warning it expects to face as much as $4.3 billion in restructuring charges through 2024. That potential charge stemming from cost-cutting efforts following the combination of Discovery and AT&T's Warner Media Unit. The majority of the charges are tied to restructuring the company's content operations. And the price of Apple TV and music becoming more expensive. The tech giant announcing price increases for both services. Apple Music rising from $9.99 a month to $10.99, citing an increases in music licensing costs. Apple TV Plus, meanwhile, is jumping from $4.99 to $6.99 a month. Apple also raising the entry-level cost for Apple One, which adds storage and the arcade gaming edition to music and TV, Dom. News I'm still going to pay for my subscriptions. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I think a lot of people will be. Sylvain Henao, thank you very much for you that. Got it, Dom. This may not be the busiest week of earnings season, but it's close. It could still give investors some heartburn as well. The big tech trade and giants are reporting results amid signs of slowing demand for smartphones, e-commerce and digital ads. It all starts today with Microsoft and Alphabet out after the closing bell. Meta Platforms reports tomorrow and Apple and Amazon round out the action on Thursday. That's a lot of market cap out there. Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon are down more than 25% this year. Meta is down more than 60%, and Apple is a relative outperformer, down just a mere 16%. So joining me now is Scott Kessler, a global sector lead for tech, media, and telecom, TMT, at Third Bridge. Uh, Scott, TMT is very much a focus this week, and it has a lot of sway on markets. What are your expectations? Will big technology be a, at least a, a way for us to find a catalyst to slow down the selling? Well, thanks a lot, Dom. A couple of things come to mind, right? I think a lot of uh, folks were discouraged by what Snap reported last week in terms of an indication that the online advertising market uh, not only continues to be weak, but continues to have a variety of different challenges from a growth perspective. Um, that being said, Experts that we talk to suggest that because Snap is so oriented to uh, large brand advertisers, they might not necessarily be as indicative um, of a company and its performance as, say, companies like uh, Alphabet and Meta uh, might communicate over the course of this week. So, so Scott, uh, w- when we refer specifically to companies like Alphabet and Meta, there's got to be at least a moment of pause, right, after, after snap results earlier on. It, it calls into question a little bit about whether or not there is still going to be appetite for spending on digital advertising from big corporations. Is that a concern in your mind? We, we heard earlier this week Bank of America analysts downgrade Meta stock because of some concerns about that digital advertising spending outlook. What do you think? Are people still going to spend on advertising? Yeah, I, I think if you look at the digital advertising market right now, um, there's still spending taking place. Obviously, we have the holiday shopping season coming up, which is critical uh, for a variety of companies. Um, I think what's important to understand, though, is that 
Snap is very different in terms of its profile than a lot of the big tech companies that are focused on online advertising. So you think about an Alphabet slash Google slash YouTube, um, based on conversations that we've had, they are much more economically, let's call it, um, insensitive to kind of what's going on uh, more broadly. They are a measure uh, of overall intent when it comes to buying uh, goods and services, for example. And so it's reasonable to think that Alphabet uh, is going to perform better than Snap. Now, Meta is a slightly different story. I think a lot of people are looking at that company and asking themselves whether or not the commitment that they've made to the metaverse right now makes very much sense. If you think about the amount of spending and you think about the lack of return that the company is expecting over the next number of years. And so I think, and this was referenced, I think, in the lead-in, um, that these companies are going to have to communicate um, some sense of austerity when it comes to their spending plans. Snap has done that. Other companies have indicated that, and we'll see those details over the course of the week. Scott, we've just got a few moments left here. I'd like to ask you about Apple because it's the biggest waiting in a lot of these indices out there and, and, and fund waitings as well. Is Apple, does it deserve to be the safe haven stock that it has been on a relative basis over the past 15 years? Well, Dom, the think about, the, to think about Apple is to think about a company that uh, is broadly based um, and has a very strong balance sheet, and people are not necessarily stepping away from the products and services just because of the high and maybe increasing prices. That is a headwind, but keep in mind that they have tailwinds related to new products and the holiday shopping season. So it seems like Apple is pretty well positioned. But again, the key thing for Apple is, of course, uh, those new iPhone sales and how those are holding up. Right now, indications have been mixed, but Apple seems to always confound the doubters when they report results, especially given a lot of reports coming out about volumes being cut, which often, frankly, are incorrect. All right. Big week for tech earnings for sure. Scott Kessler, thank you very much. Coming up on the show, your morning RBI on Europe's energy crisis. The hopeful signs suggesting some relief around price pains from across the pond. Random industry. Interesting. Coming up next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time for something random but interesting. And for that RBI, we send things out to Brian Sullivan. Thanks and good Tuesday morning. It is time now for your RBI. And today we've actually got some pretty good news around Europe's energy crisis. And that is we are seeing some hopeful signs. A lot of it has to do with American exports and also the weather. First up, let's take a look at natural gas costs. In the last couple of weeks, the price of spot natural gas has come way down. Dutch gas futures are now below 100, the first time we've seen that price since June, and a drop of more than 70% off their peak a couple of months ago. It's because storage levels look pretty good right now. In fact, some storage tanks in the Netherlands are full, and they're not using the gas, so there's almost no demand. There's also a bunch of ships, maybe more than 30, filled with natural gas, sitting offshore, waiting for either an open port or for higher prices or both. Now, that move in natural gas is also dropping the price of electricity. According to Rystad Energy, electricity prices per kilowatt hour have also tumbled lately. That is good news for beleaguered families, companies, and industries all across Europe. 
And aside from American and Norwegian natural gas helping out, there's been another big player here, and that is the weather. It has been nearly perfect lately across much of Europe. So they haven't needed much gas. That is good news. Now, does this mean, though, that the situation is resolved longer term? Absolutely not. As we've been reporting for months, the weather may be the most important variable going forward. And what we know about the weather is it could change very quickly. And if we get a severe turn during the late fall or winter, much of that storage could draw down pretty quickly. Then the focus will be squarely on what happens next year when they try to refill those tanks largely without any gas at all from Russia, something that has never been done before. But in the near term, let's appreciate the good news and a very big helping hand from one Mother Nature. Thank you. Random, but hopeful. All right, Brian, of course, it's going to be close to 70 degrees here in New York City today in October. Uh, Housing again in focus today as we await the latest S&P Case-Shiller home price index due later on this morning. While that figure is expected to show gains, they're expected to be smaller than the prior month as home prices continue to cool off, with mortgage rates hovering just shy of 7% right now for 30-year fixed-rate ones after recently crossing that threshold. For more on where things stand right now for housing, let's bring in Brad Dillman, chief economist over at Cortland. Uh, Brad, there, there are signs that housing is cooling off, but no real forecast or prognostication among many that it's going to crash, so to speak. Do you expect the housing market to crash at all? I don't think uh, crash would be the right term, certainly not at this stage. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, we're, we are looking at the case shiller index to come out today. The last print was 15.8% in year-over-year terms. Uh, the consensus figure I have in front of me is 15%. I'm going to take the under on that. I think it's going to come in at 13.4% year-over-year. That's still very, very large year-over-year. We're talking double digits, but it's very clear that the index is cooling, both in terms of its growth rate and in terms of the index level itself. Now, it's interest rates for sure, and we've, heard, we've even heard home builders basically reference that in kind of taking down some of the expectations for their future growth. Uh, interest rates are a big part of this. It's also about whether or not people are putting houses for sale right now. Are you seeing signs in the housing market that, that people are still trying to get their houses sold, or is there just not a lot of activity given the fact that interest rates are so high and people are just not buying? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, homes, homeowners need more of an incentive to sell at this stage. I mean, certainly they're not going to get the kind of pricing execution that they would have had in the spring when the mortgage rate environment was more accommodative. Um, you know, certainly with fears of recession, many people can look ahead and say, OK, well, if you end up with systemic job losses, that maybe you'll have some forced selling. Uh, and if that occurs in an environment that still has, you know, uh, uh, very deleterious mortgage rates, uh, you might see a, a faster cooling of home price appreciation than you do now. Now, one of the other dynamics that that's been pretty interesting to kind of watch play out, Brad, is this notion that homeowners in America might actually be better off today than they have been over the last 20 years when it comes to a potential downturn. And because of that, interest rates had provided them an opportunity to refinance at lower rates over the last several years. Do we feel as though the refinancing activity that we've seen over the last several years has made it so that we will not have as much of a possible downturn in the economy and the housing housing market, given the fact that people can actually hold up those payments, even if there's some financial stress involved. Yeah, certainly for anybody that was a homeowner, say, prior to 2020, right, they were able to to refinance into low rates for those uh, millions of people who bought homes in the last several years. Well, 
you had those cheap mortgage, cheap mortgages, low rates, they had to pay more for the asset. And we saw that in the home price appreciation. So those folks have almost certainly basically bid their payment to a high level such that the low rate is kind of meaningless because as a percentage of their monthly income, it's still you know a, a large outlay uh, for them. Uh, but by and large, I'd say, yeah, you do have a fair amount of, of homeowners who, who are now, uh, by, by the fact that they have a low mortgage rate and a cheaper mortgage than they did when they entered their house, um, they're in a much better position than they otherwise might be, as long as they aren't looking to move. Now, Brad, what if there's a scenario developing in the housing market where people do want to kind of think about moving around? Are they prohibited from doing so because they're in a home that they may be locked into a rate for over the last couple of years that's so attractive that they think if they want to buy another house and take on another loan that it's going to cost that much more? Yeah, I think that certainly would be a calculus, right? And not only that, they're going to be maybe selling their home at a, at a higher price, but they also have to buy one at a higher price. And now they're going to go in with that higher mortgage rate, assuming that they're still using leverage. So yeah, I think that will play into people's calculus. And just as we've looked at people working remotely because of the pandemic, we now may look at people needing to work remotely really because there's no incentive to move or they're not able to move. All right. Uh, an, an interesting housing dynamic for sure, Brad Dillman. Thank you very much for the thoughts. We appreciate it. Coming up on deck for the show, Sox looking to keep the two-day rally rolling. Greg Branch lays out why he says you should not be fooled by the market's recent rebound. And be sure to tune in to the new episode of Jay Leno's Garage. Jay joins President Biden taking a spin in an electrified 1978 Ford F-100, talking everything from hot rods to the future of electric vehicles. That's going to come up tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Jay Leno's Garage, all new with President Biden tomorrow, 10 p.m. We'll be right back. Time now for your executive recap. Meta's WhatsApp service says that service has been restored after a global outage early this morning. Problems were first detected right around 3.15 a.m. Eastern time. WhatsApp has around 2 billion users worldwide. Meta platform shares down one half of 1% pre-market. Adidas, or Adidas, reportedly plans to end its partnership with Kanye West following a slew of offensive behavior from the rapper and designer. According to a Bloomberg report, the German sports company may announce the move as early as today. If confirmed, Adidas would join Gap and Kering's Balenciaga fashion label in prematurely cutting ties with Kanye West. And shares of Weber are surging ahead of the opening bell. This after its largest shareholder, BDT Capital, reported a stake of 88.9 percent in the company. They almost own the whole thing. They offered they offered to buy the rest of it that it doesn't already own. For $6.25, the offer represents a 24% premium to Monday's closing price and mirrors the pre-market gains you can see for the stock. It's at $6.12 right now, up 22%. We've got a very busy day on tap on the economic front. We get the Philadelphia Fed non-manufacturing figures, the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, and a read on consumer confidence as well. Plenty of earnings reports, including 3M, Coca-Cola, General Electric, General Motors, UPS, Alphabet, Microsoft, Visa, amongst others. Intel self-driving car technology mobile unit, Mobileye, pricing its IPO as well later on today. And Fed Governor Christopher Waller speaks this afternoon. That's a lot of stuff going on. We've also got a number of exclusive and first-on interviews on CNBC today, including the CEOs of General Motors, UPS, Coca-Cola, as well as the president and COO of Goldman Sachs as well, John Waldron, 
That's a very busy day, so keep it right here on CNBC. Well, back to the markets as investors await those earnings reports to potentially provide fresh legs to stocks two-day rally. Greg Branch is a managing partner at Veritas Financial Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Greg, I listed off a lot of potential catalysts just today alone. Is any of it good enough to change the market's direction? Can we find a bottom anytime soon? I don't think so, Dom. Uh, and, and the catalysts you listed notwithstanding, they're just not of a magnitude of the, in terms of the catalysts that matter. In terms of the catalysts that matter, when you look back at this earnings season thus far, we've come in slightly below the historical average in terms of companies that have given us positive surprises. But the key thing is that's against very decreased, massively decreased expectations. And on June 30th, the expectation for this quarter was about 10% blended earnings growth. By September 30th, that had come down to 2.8%. And what we've witnessed so far is about 1.8%. And so when you look into that fourth quarter, right now, the projection there is about 4%. And so how we get from this quarter at 1.8% to 4% next quarter and 8% in 2023, with the Fed still having a number of moves ahead of us, not just November, but likely December as well, potentially January as well, with quantitative tightening just beginning. And what I think what we're going to hear this week, Dom, is that even in places where we found safe haven, like the cloud, like uh, digital advertising, outside of search, we're going to see a unique softness that we haven't seen before in those businesses. Not that there won't be growth, but certainly not the growth that we're accustomed to. So, Greg, I mean, there's been a case made by by some on our air and, and, and certainly a lot of folks out there just on Wall Street that they've taken into account everything that you've talked about just now with some of that slowing momentum and and some of those projections because the stock prices have been crushed. I mean, the Nasdaq is down 30 plus percent since the record highs. Isn't that enough to account for the fact that we could see some of that slowing earnings momentum in the coming quarters? I'm going to respond to that two ways, Dom. Anecdotally, we hear that all the time, that it's in the numbers and the expectation is 75 basis points. And then when it happens, the market still reacts because it's not in the numbers for everyone. That's why there's such a wide range around consensus. You know, the other thing that you said um, about, you know, being in the numbers and how we react from here is that we still have the downward revisions to go. And, And but when the estimates aren't right, We don't know if it's been crushed necessarily. I mean, yes, the stock price has come down, but you can't tell me something's cheap unless you can define that to me, articulate that to me on a multiple basis. And if the earnings aren't right, then the multiple isn't right. And so we've got to get the earnings right first before we can have reliable multiples to define things as cheap or expensive. All right, Greg, before we let you go here, you pick stocks. So what do you like? I do. You know, despite the commodities coming in right now, I think energy is setting up for the mother of all supply shocks in the winter months, uh, as as, uh, we'll see if Europe is going to uh, go ahead with that embargo in December. Uh, But particularly with those prices coming in, with OPEC cutting $2 million a barrel, with our strategic reserve historically low and getting lower, um, that's a sector I think we can find haven in. I'm going to look at some of these cloud businesses. I'd like to see how much they're decelerating. And, and maybe there are two, I'll, I'll still have uh, room for some safe haven. But right now, you just got a better risk reward and fixed income. You can get three-month bills for 4% guarantee. No need to take extra risk on. I hear a lot. I hear that a lot. often. <laughs> I hear it often, all the time here now, these days. Risk-free rates at four and a quarter percent. Greg Branch at Veritas, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. That does Thanks, it for Dad. us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now offered, but ever so slightly. The Dow's implied lower by just about 109 points right now. Squawk Box is coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.